Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Word of warning for all, nine days remain to finish your Christmas shopping. If you have not started, you might want to, what's that? I have two things left to get. Oh, I thought you were trying to correct me that there were only two days remaining. Keith speaks in sign language that I don't really understand. (laughs) Even though we do get along, I don't know all of your uh, hand signals there. I'm just proud of myself. I've got two more items to get, and then I will have completed my Christmas shopping. Very good. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Uh, Hopefully, as uh, you're uh, tooling around town or whatever you're doing, you too have uh, gotten a jump start on all all your holiday shopping. And by the way, I tool around in my Hobson Chevrolet Silverado. There you go. Mm. Very nice. This is the front row. We are back uh, for another week. They uh, they let us back. We got the email word uh, late in the day yesterday, so we decided to arrive at work and uh, go ahead and do this. We're still uh, show operating for under an FCC um, um, what's uh, umbrella. Well, Cameron's show airs on this same station, yeah, so I'm so pretty sure we're, we're clear. We're piggybacking we're, yeah, him. Well, no, we're clear. I mean, if they, if they green light him, we're okay at this Understood. point. Understood. Not too happy to be sharing the same mic, though, uh, after hearing how sick he was this weekend. Which Is this his mic or is that his mic? Oh, I've got his mic. Great. So you'll be healthy for the holidays, and I'll be under the weather, Keith. Well, just consider long, that just my as present long as you to you. Figure out whether it was food poisoning or something he drank, or a viral or bacterial. Exactly. Or, well, I'll let you I, know next week when I'm start, laid up. I'm gonna start calling him Seinfeld. He can do an entire show based on one simple thing. I got sick. Let's do three hours. He's been doing that for like 19 years now, or however long he's been doing the show. All right. <laughs> enough about his show, which precedes us on Wednesdays. Let's talk about our show, and uh, we have uh, basketball to speak of tonight that uh, we will get to we have i don't know that it's really fallout i think we all knew it was going to go this way regarding the heisman i was surprised that dalvin cook got so little traction it was not surprising to me that he finished down the list but to to only have a mere handful of votes that one did kind of surprise me a little bit well that and and i i enjoyed reading Corey's article uh because uh, now we know that Corey has a man crush on on dalvin uh there were seven first plates votes cast for dalvin one of them was Corey's by his own admission no I'm, i agree with you i make i make fun of clark because you know it's easy to um i i don't get it either i think that goes back to to one of two things maybe both uh number one florida state had two losses you know i know stanford did as well but this that comes into the second bias which is the west coast bias i.e geographical bias and uh you know unless and until you're playing for a national championship uh at florida state you're probably not going to be considered for the heisman i.e ward and winking well i think it goes back to one single football game and the performance of henry and fournette when they played head-to-head because really the heisman shifted from fournette to henry and nobody else was ever in contention based on the outcome of uh, just that one game is what it looks like when you look back at it stanford kid made a late push uh, too late maybe for the reasons you cited but I, it just was a little curious to me that it was that I, I guess i didn't see maybe i'm underselling henry i didn't see his performance this year as as necessarily that deserving to be the uh not that he was a landslide winner but for nobody else to really be in the discussion i thought a better way to say that is i thought there were a lot of other guys separate dalvin cook and my fsu affinity that you could really make a legitimate argument for one of them being deshaun watson yes uh because clemson i mean having seen clemson you know just as just as florida state probably loses three more games if cook doesn't play the same is true for clemson and clemson maybe more so yeah maybe more so for clemson and and I just in my mind I could never wrap my head around if you removed Henry from Alabama's offense did they have three more losses on the schedule no. or did they just hand to another guy and he he racks up. The well, and I think the other thing too, those of us that have been around the game and and you know purport to understand the game, uh, you know Henry's you know he's just not flashy. He's just not flashy. He just straight ahead. With well, and great there is speed. something to be said for workmanlike, get yep. the yep. job done, no, I get it. and but, obviously endurance. But we're, yeah. we're hyped, rightly or wrongly, with the uh, we want quick feet, we want sudden moves, we want great top end speed, we want something exciting, and uh, maybe we're at fault for not recognizing and appreciating workmanlike uh, uh, capacity. I heard a little bit. I realize the Heisman is in the rearview mirror, so this has uh, probably been digested and, and contemplated enough. But the fact that uh, the voters are no longer allowed to disclose their votes ahead of time, which 
controversial or not, it created a buzz about the Heisman that, that doesn't exist now. So it'll be interesting to see if they revisit that because all these people that used to write articles about who they voted for and why no longer do because the Heisman says you can't talk about it. Right, right. Interesting dynamic. You have no other thoughts, and I have no other thoughts on that. No. All right, so let's go to basketball. The Knowles uh, got a win the other day, and uh, an unlikely source uh, became maybe not that unlikely, but it was the first time we've seen uh, Bell produce the way he did, and then tonight FSU gets back at it. Leonard had mentioned to me a couple of games prior uh, at the conclusion of a game, we just in casual chat, you know, got to find more minutes for Bell. And then he came out and had a terrible game. I mean, I have my sequence quite right, but I, I'm in my back of my mind going, you want that guy to have more minutes, and then all of a sudden, whoom, off he goes. 4-4, four, 4-4 four, uh, four for four from three land. Uh, yeah, I mean, he looked like, like a, a different player. Looked like the player that uh, the coaching staff had been recruiting out of junior college uh, the year prior. Um, don't know that you can expect that same kind of performance out of him consistently, but as long as Devin Booker has that bad wrist, uh, then he'll see some increased playing time. And I think that uh, takes a little bit of pressure off of XRM, too, because Bell, obviously, when he comes in, runs the point. When X is on the floor with him, he can go to the two and doesn't have to be responsible for, for ball distribution. So, you know, that may be a, a pretty good little thing. I'd, I'd prefer to see Devin Booker come back healthy with that right wrist and get back to, to shooting the ball the way we know that uh, that he can. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. I've got no word on whether we'll see Booker tonight or He's not. He's just been a little bit snake bit throughout his he really has yeah which all started with a scooter ride it's a shame because uh when you look at when he's healthy i mean he shoots the ball as as well as anybody's ever played for florida state in terms of three-point percentage he's the only player in florida state history that's amongst the top 10 in shooting percentage for three balls and uh, free throws he you know he's a he's an unbelievable shooter He's just streaky, and as you mentioned, he's been he's been injured. Is the defense improving at a clip that's uh, acceptable, or is there still too much room to go? I mean, what's your thoughts as we creep closer to the it's, conference season? I mean, I can give you the halfway answer. It's getting better, but it's not anywhere near where it needs to be. Uh, and, and it begin it continues to be a, a, a source of focus, uh, particularly on the on the practice court. I mean, the, the coaches are just you know they're drilling and drilling and drilling about footwork and spacing, and you know the the as Leonard likes to say, his defensive principles, you know, trying to get that ingrained where they become second nature and you don't have to think about them. Then you got to take them out on the court at game time and execute them. There have been times, the, the last 10 minutes of, uh, of the last game, 10 minutes of the first half, rather, uh, was probably as good a defensive effort as, as Florida State has put forward. Uh, but you've got to do that for 40 minutes, particularly when you get into conference play. We have a uh, good show as always coming your way. Next segment, we're going to devote to uh, a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl preview. Ted Pardee is going to join us. He is the color analyst on the uh, radio network for the Houston Cougars. So we'll get a, a peek behind the curtain there about this Houston team and their new coach and uh, their 12-1 and season. I was just going to say, uh, the first Peach Bowl that I ever attended was the 83 Peach Bowl when we about froze our you-know-what's off. And, and I remember distinctly how cold it was, and I remember moving you know, there were only twelve, fifteen thousand people in the old uh, Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And as the sun would set, the shade would move and we would move to stay in the sun. <laughs> you know, we moved four or five times. What what a great um what great growth the Peach Bowl has had over the last whatever, if you if you recognize eighty three. Uh I mean I, I had forgotten. I'd heard all these bits and pieces, but you know, it's it's part of the New Year's Day six. Mm-hmm. Next year, it hosts a playoff game. So 2016, if you're one of the top four, you're playing potentially there. In 2017, it hosts the national championship game. So I, I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed in some of the things I read and some of the things I'm hearing from our fans about how disappointed they are about going to the Peach Bowl. It's a pretty big thing these days yeah, it's well, not it's not your grandfather's peach bowl anymore yeah, yeah i think there's a lot to chew on maybe we can do that after we're done uh, talking with uh, with ted in our next segment because uh it'd be an interesting conversation to see how the peach bowl plus, got to the point it is plus you open the 17th season against alabama yeah so fsu season. can play there the next three years yeah. uh they have a chance to do that be a different building that one though that, that will be a that'll be the building. new dome do you want to just talk about everything right now and shoehorn it into this last 30 seconds or can i now officially take us to the next segment Please continue, Mr. Block. All right. This great entertainment of bickering and bantering between Keith and I is uh, brought your way each and every week by Madison Social. And uh, hopefully that continues after this fine, compelling radio that we just did. Evidently, I'm going to have to take you there and buy you a drink for apologies. Yes, uh, apparently so. Uh, 
as we've mentioned, Madison Social, the place to be. Uh, no question, a place that, that you might want to stop on your way to the late basketball game tonight to uh, to hydrate before you get to the Tucker Center for a little uh, ACC, SEC hoops. But uh, thanks to Madison Social, they've been with us uh, all year long. Ted Pardee joins us on the other side. Uh, Tim Linnefelt a little bit later in the show. And uh, more bickering and bannering from Keith and I uh, in the dead periods in between. This is the Front Row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you here on the front row as we get set for Florida State. And Houston in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl coming up. And we are pleased that uh, we've got Ted Pardee on the line right now, who is the color analyst uh, for the Houston Cougar Radio Network. And uh, he's going to give us some insight uh, on a program that really has just had a terrific season at 12-1 and conference champs. First-year head coach has, has done wonders there. Not that uh, you know they were uh, at 2-10. and 10. I mean, they had some pretty respectable seasons before that. But we'll ask uh, the expert as Ted joins us. Ted, how are you? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Good. And uh, in full disclosure, I guess you played for houston uh for a few years and now what is this your your 10th or 11th season on the radio network that's right i played uh, had had the pleasure of playing back in the 1980s back in the old southwest conference uh, got to play with a guy named andre ware and david klingler lamar lathan so uh had, had a lot of uh pretty superstar uh, impressive teammates if you will well and that's a good starting point for this conversation because when you pull out the statistics and look at the series history on this one Houston actually leads this series with FSU 12 to 2 with two ties and these teams played pretty frequently in the 60s and 70s I guess it's been a while uh, since they've gone head to head prior to this game but I get the sense that what Tom Herman has done is sort of reconnect uh, Houston maybe with its football roots a little bit he, he's come in and all of a sudden 12 and 1 and what kind of a buzz has he created there with with the Cougar program well, you know, a lot of people have described the University of Houston uh, athletic department over the past few years as kind of a sleeping giant. When you look at uh, some of the coaches who have uh, you know, started at Houston and then gone on to other schools, they've had great success, whether it's Art Bryles at Baylor, Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech, Kevin Sumlin at SMU, Dana Holgerson at West Virginia. You know, so it's, it's become this sort of stopping point. Uh, but but if you look back in the history and you go back to the 60s and the 70s and the 80s when, when I was in school, um, you know, the University of Houston was respected nationally, uh, was in a legitimate big-time program, uh, a conference, if you will. And so really when the conference shuffle happened and the Southwest Conference was disbanded, Houston kind of disappeared, truly. And, and so it's taken quite a bit of time to sort of uh, reinvigorate that, that passion that people used to have at the University of Houston. Uh, but, and Tom Herman has really uh, – he's found the secret, and he has he is absolutely leveraged it. Um, he is the kind of guy that – you know, he goes to classes to talk to kids. He's the kind of guy that goes out and presses the flesh. He's a, he's a brilliant salesman uh, both internally at the University of Houston and in a city that is, you know, the fourth largest city in the nation that's really considered a pro town. You know, he's caught the, the attention of all the local media. And I think, too, what's interesting about it, when, when conversation begins about expanding the conferences one more time, if we ever go to the big four, Super 16, or however they put it together, there may be one other, but certainly the top two schools that are talked about, about coming in wherever they would come in, would be Houston. I mean, the people in the know understand what Houston University athletics are. That's right, and, and it, it, there's two sides to it, right? I mean, I'm, I think the University of Houston has a lot to offer. It's the third largest school in the state of Texas, so there's a, there's a, a, a little bit of history, and, and there's resources, right? But on the flip side, uh, as you guys know, being in Florida, you know, where do you want to go if you're from a northeastern school or a western school or a midwestern school? Where do you go to recruit players? You go to Florida and Texas. And in Houston, you can pretty much hit 12 school high schools, and you can hit the top players in the nation. It's kind of like going to Florida, right? Uh, you, you go to one state, and you can find all the talent in the world. So I think that there's a reason that Houston is being mentioned, partially because it's, it's a program that's back uh, on a national stage and has national respect. But I also think that 
you know, listen, a school like Florida State, it wouldn't hurt uh, Jimbo Fisher to come into Houston once every other year to do a recruiting, you know, to play a game and to recruit, right? No so question. No impressive question. right under the nose of Texas A&M and UT, right? It, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I feel like I read that Tom Herman, when he got there, he – uh, sort of referenced the the U, meaning the University of Miami, and how they Howard Schnellenberger put walls around South Florida and recruited from there, and basically created his own video to shop uh, <laughs> around the Houston uh, prospects and said, "Guys, there's no reason that we can't be this in this area." That's exactly what he did, and and his the slogan that Tom came up with was the H Town Takeover, right? So it's it's the University of Houston going into the schools right around the high schools right around it and recruiting sort of your own, right? And and give the, the high school students a reason to stay in town and, and to, you know, they don't have to go to Norman, Oklahoma to play for a great program. They don't have to go to uh, Austin, Texas to play for a great program. There's one right on their doorstep. Well, speaking of players, I, I don't think there's a more dynamic player that Florida State faithful will not be familiar with, that they'll get a belly full uh, then uh, Greg Ward Jr. Talk, talk about the development of this uh, quarterback, and, and if there is ever one who uh, would be the poster child for dual threat, uh, he certainly fits that bill. Well, you're right. I, I, I got to tell you, Keith, it's a uh, it's been awesome to watch over the past three years. So Greg Ward Jr. three years ago was the number three receiver on the team. He was the punt returner. And he was really one of the emerging um, superstars, if you will. He, he did some pretty amazing things as a punt returner. And so there was this sense that this guy had some, he had something special. He was also, you know, by the way, like the backup quarterback, right? But, uh, uh, you know, so had some tr- Houston had some troubles at quarterback. And ultimately, Greg gets a shot. Uh, he is explosive. He's creative. Um, he makes mistakes. But you know what? He has he has the quickness and the speed to get himself out of trouble, and it has just uh, it's it's been an amazing thing to watch his sort of his evolution. And uh, he got injured this year. He had a, a bad high ankle sprain, so that really side it sidelined him for the UConn game. So he didn't get to play the one game that we lost. And uh, and and then you look at what he did when he came back after that injury. He was more disciplined. He stood in the pocket more. He played more like a quarterback, a throwing quarterback than a running quarterback. So it's been. He's a he's a talented player. Well, and Florida State faithful will be familiar with Deshaun Watson from Clemson. I don't know if you've been able to see Clemson play very much, but uh, have you seen enough to, that maybe you could give our listeners a little bit of a strength weaknesses comparing Ward to uh, to the Clemson uh, QB? Sure, and and I uh, you know obviously watch uh, a lot of college football just like you guys do. So uh, I don't think Greg is believe it or not. I don't think Greg is as good a passer as as Watson. I think you're going to see Greg uh, growing into uh, the role of quarterback. It, it, really, next year, hopefully he'll he'll be even a better passer. You know, Greg is a guy that's an instinctual player, and he's the kind of guy that forces defenses. You either gonna you either gonna have to spy him because he will take off and run, um, or you're gonna have to be disciplined on the defensive line and and have uh, be disciplined about your rush lane. You're gonna have to be careful about any line games, so no you know uh, lex text type of exchanges that you have where D line D tackles are switching with defensive ends. Anytime that happens in front of Greg Ward, he sees that as an opportunity to break the line of scrimmage. So uh, if, if you're gonna compare him to uh, other talent that you guys have seen, maybe it, it, I think he'll be very unique because he truly is a run-pass option. Just look at the stats; he's our number. He's the Cougars' number one rusher. He averages 80 yards per game. Um, obviously, passing, he's averaging just shy of 200 yards per game at 199 yards per game. He's a true dual threat. Well, and again, uh, talking about personnel on the offensive side, Florida State faithful will remember one Peter Warwick. And what little bit of tape I've watched, uh, one DeMarcus Ayers kind of reminds me of him. Well, I'll tell you, that's a nice comparison. Peter Warwick is a heck of a football player. But as a returner, uh, as a rusher, catching the ball, I mean, Ayers is a triple threat that way. Well, that's exactly right. So as, as a coach, you've got to put your – you know, you've got to put your thinking cap on. You've got two guys you have to focus on. You've got to focus on Greg Ward, obviously, but the big play guy is Demarcus Ayers. Um, he's the guy that uh, can run wildcat. He's a jet sweep guy. Uh, he's the return man, by the way, on punt return. He was kickoff return, but there's also another guy back there, Brandon Wilson, who uh, we'll talk a little bit about also, who's emerged as a star. 
So, so yes, when you talk about sort of your big play guy that Houston goes to, uh, they look at DeMarcus Ayers. He's a guy that can turn a quick jet sweep into a 50-yard run. Uh, he's the deep threat. He's, he's a post pattern away from a touchdown, that kind of thing. And uh, he's exciting to watch. Uh, I, I think a big physical defensive back is going to is going to you know push him around and and I think that's what you got to do if, if you're really going to uh you know put your thumbprint on this guy you got to play tough defense against him well and that sets up an intriguing matchup with Jalen Ramsey from exactly from Florida right. State who's a really physical corner there you ju- you just mentioned uh Brandon Wilson so uh since since you teed that up already tell us a little bit more about him you said he's emerging <laughs> this is a guy that I've watched play defensive back you know for I'm looking at a guy that's I think is one of the top defensive backs, a cornerback on the team. He he was really flexible last year as a Cougar. He he played safety corner. You could really put him anywhere. Uh, but deep down inside, he was a running back, and and I don't think anybody quite understood what a good running back he was until Houston lost their their top two running backs in in uh, uh, Kenneth Farrow and and Ryan Jackson, two guys that have, they're seniors, guys that have been here a long time, been the the mainstay of the rush game at Houston. So the Cougars, you know, Tom Herman, he's just he's the mad scientist, right? Nothing's too crazy for him. He pulls Brandon Wilson out of cornerback. Kid has four days of, of preparation. He goes out on the field and rushes for about 140 yards. He, he's the kind of guy that just just impresses you. He's quick at the line of scrimmage, explosive through the holes. And uh, I think uh, it was a, another color commentary guy, I think it was Mac Brown, who said he'll never play cornerback again so good at running back <laughs> you know mac learned all his football at florida state back in his playing days <laughs> he sure did that's right <laughs> well uh, you, you just mentioned that pharaoh kenneth pharaoh i think just returned from uh, an ankle injury uh this week but what you're suggesting is that doesn't mean that that well pharaoh may be the lead guy but wilson is going to get more than his share of carries well that's right i i, I think what you're going to see is uh, is a rotation so houston has always been the type of offense that likes to rotate players in um, uh, it, before it was Ryan Jackson and Kenneth Farrow. Uh, Ryan Jackson broke his collarbone, so he won't be back. Kenneth Farrow had a bad high ankle sprain, so he was hobbled at the end of the season, as you know. So, uh, and, and Ryan, by the way, uh, Ryan Jackson was an explosive guy and, and scored the first touchdown in our new stadium. You know, So he was a, a, a special person that a lot of the Cougar fans really are sad to see that he didn't get to finish. But if, if you, you know, it's nice to see somebody else emerge, someone like a Brandon Wilson who, you, you know was a good return man, and, and uh, it's good to see him having a chance to try something else, right, and play a little bit of running back. Let's go bigger picture here in terms of the matchup itself. What kind of excitement uh, or what, what's the thought been for the Houston team and program about the matchup with FSU? Well, for the University of Houston, it's, it's just a great opportunity to play against the storied program, uh, you know, a, a program that is in an incredibly – uh, a competitive conference. You know, the ACC is, is awesome. You know, Clemson, you know, between FSU and Clemson, you've got two, a, power, a couple powerhouses there uh, just slugging it out every single year. You know, this is a, this is a team that, that Houston looks at that's a playoff uh, type of team. So, uh, you know, any opportunity to compete on the playing field against a school like Florida State is, is an incredible honor. And, and it gives Houston a chance to say, hey, how do we stack up? How how do we stack up against one of the great programs uh, in the United States and one that is nationally respected? You know, FSU has, you know, they've got the number four offense in, in the ACC. They've got the number four defense in the ACC. Very sound offensively and defensively. It's going to be a big test for the Houston Cougars. I want to go back. This may go back to a little bit where we started in terms of the conference uh, discussion and Houston maybe losing luster when the Southwest Conference uh you know, rode out into the sunset. But from a fan support standpoint, I know that uh, the the coach has been on the fans to come out and support the program. I and mean, what's your thoughts on that in terms of where? And I don't have the perspective on where it was four years ago to where it is right now. Sure, sure. So you know, the Cougs finally are back up to you know getting uh, a full house. And and uh, you know, at the start of the season, you know, everybody's excited at the beginning of the season. I think we had thirty thousand folks there for the Tennessee Tech game. You know, then it dips. It dips in the midseason uh, when you've got a Vandy, a Vanderbilt coming in, and you can only get twenty-eight thousand fans to come to a game. But you go on a run, and by the you know by the time you're playing Navy at home, you've got again a full house, sold out, forty-two thousand, uh, and then same thing for the conference championship. So, you know, Tom Herman is is uh, he's no he's no dummy. 
he understands that for the, for Houston to do the things that the, that the school wants to do big picture, which is to either get into a power five conference or to figure out a way to, you know, to be on a national, um, you know, uh, to, to be respected nationally, like, like they are right now, you've got to have strong fan support. And, and, uh, the University of Houston is this, you know, it's, it's the university for the city of Houston. So uh, the fans need to come out and support it. There's a lot of things that, that the fans can go, they can go to a Rockets game, they can go to a Texans game. So you, you've got to put a quality product out there. Um, but I think what, what the fans have, have shown in response to Tom Herman, you know, kind of calling them out is that if you put a product on the field and you show that you're going to follow through with, uh, you know, what you say, then the fans will show up. Well, and then that leads to the next question is, can Houston keep him? You talked about uh, other coaches that had come through the Cougar program and moved on. Uh, one of the things that, that Florida State was so blessed with was 34 years of Bobby Bowden, uh, not suggesting that Coach uh, Herman even wants to coach for 34 years. But uh, <laughs> but can, can you keep him, and is that necessary? Well, that, that, well that's a great question. I mean, I think uh, – Boy, he'll have he'll have plenty of opportunities, and and I I'm not a, I'm not silly enough to think that he didn't have opportunities this year. Uh, you know, the board of regents at the University of Houston voted to uh, increase his salary to about three million, just shy of three million a year. That's a huge commitment for the University of Houston. Uh, the the program has said that they would um, act as if they are a um, a Power Five conference, so they will you know do the same things for the players with with the, um, you know, the stipends and things like that, that the top schools are doing, the University of Houston has committed to do the same thing. Um, so, you know, you, and then now it comes down to facilities, right? So the University of Houston had to build a new stadium finally. So get the stadium back on campus and, and have a nice stadium. You know, I think, I think the stage is set for the Cougars to keep Tom Herman. But I think that for Tom Herman to truly want to stick around, that the Cougars have to be able to compete for a national championship at some point. And, and I don't know how the Cougars can do that if they're not in a power five conference. So, um, you know, Tom's, Tom's an ambitious guy. He was in the national championship game last year with Ohio state. Uh, his, his formula works. Um, I think he's going to be highly sought after by some of the top programs. So I think, you know, the t- I think Houston is on the clock, if, if you will, uh, it's up to the, athletic department, the chairman of the board of regents to try to find a way to either, um, you know, pay him even more or get into a power five conference. Well, I guess that leads to another question uh, that, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen at noon on the 31st in Atlanta? How does this game play out based on what you've seen over uh, 10 plus years and, and having played for the Cougars? What, what's the game going to look like? Well, I, I think that uh, there's going to be plenty of Florida State fans there and, and University of Houston fans in Atlanta enjoying the game. I think it's uh, – listen, I, I, there were other teams that, that uh, I honestly wanted to face uh, if I'm the coach. I, I would have liked a couple of other matchups in, uh, <laughs> in a couple of other bowl games. But uh, when, I, when I look at Florida State, I look at an incredibly talented team, lots of athletes, lots of really fast uh, – big guys that is what houston typically that's that's the houston calling card so when houston goes to play schools you know when when people think that you know when houston shows up at louisville the folks in louisville are completely shocked at how hard hitting houston is and how fast they are well you know it's because again they're recruiting in the city of houston so i think this is a matchup of two teams that are very similar in many ways lots of talent lots of big guys and, you know, it's going to be the team that makes the fewest mistakes. It's a cliche, but the team that truly, you know, turns the ball over the least and has the fewest mistakes is going to win. And by the way, uh, listeners, uh, Houston's number two in the country in takeaways. <laughs> that, that, that's right. That's, uh, you know, kind of one of the things that they work on. They, they have a day in practice. They call it Takeaway Tuesday. And that's all they focus on defensively uh, in drills and everything else, trying to strip the ball and, and get the turnovers. You know, it's funny because I have – takeout tuesday where i just pick up the food on the way home it's, it's almost the same right, right all right hey listen we we've uh, we've run long on our segment but this is uh, really insightful uh, information thanks for giving us uh, uh, you know such such a uh, background uh, on the university of houston good luck uh, not too much luck but good luck on uh, new year's eve 
You bet. Tom, Keith, thank you guys both, and look forward to seeing you guys uh, on New Year's Eve. Merry Christmas. All righty. That is right. uh, Ted Pardee, who is the color analyst for the Houston Radio Network. Also, uh, Jack Pardee's son. We didn't talk about that. He just uh, rattled out as some coaching cliche. Well, he did grow up as a coach's kid, so he's he knows to speak. He, he knows how to speak it, uh, but we appreciate him joining us. We'll come back, react to that uh, when we continue on the other side of this break here on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back. This segment of the program is brought your way by the Flying Bear, a family-owned and operated restaurant located in Tallahassee's north side. Just head up Thomasville Road past the Walmart. Look for it on the left. Open uh, Sunday to Thursday, 11 to 9, Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. That is the Flying Bear. Uh, Tell Brian that uh, Keith and I sent you his way out there and get out there if you have not had an opportunity to do so yet good stuff good food good food thanks for uh tuning in as uh, always interesting conversation there thanks again to ted pardee from the university of houston for joining us with that perspective uh, you know thinking uh, uh, more deeply about it keith uh you know in the now houston is perceived or is a group of five team which you know lacks luster in term it's not a power five conference is he you, for, you but if you think historically to the old days of the southwest conference and when you think about the fact that as he just mentioned he was a teammate of david klingler and andre ware in his playing days and that houston more or less dominated the series with fsu you know kind of fsu was uh, on the up while houston was on the down so their their tracks don't correspond but there is some history there there is and, and as i talked about you know when you talk about expanding conferences if if that ever happens again, uh, you know the two schools that you always hear about first, obviously Notre Dame, but everybody thinks Notre Dame is going to eventually be in the ACC when it's said and done. So the two schools that get talked about are BYU and, and Houston, and 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 why wouldn't you want Houston? I mean, Texas is the third or fourth most populous state. If you didn't have a footprint in there at all, think about what that does to your TV uh, package and that type of thing. But as importantly, it has a history. I mean, you, it, you go back to the 40s and 50s, and Houston was playing in the Cotton Bowl. The, the Southwest Conference was was a, a huge uh, part of college football. I mean, and, and right now, Houston, as, as, as he was talking about, can't get to the playoffs. They can't get to a national championship game simply because of what conference they're aligned with. I got, I got to think they have some oil money there, too. So uh, they could get the resources in a row. Uh, they're ducks in a row, so to speak. So to me, it probably comes down more to politics, which is the other Texas schools that are in the Big 12 don't necessarily want to open that door to, to said Houston. And I don't know. But as long as we went down this conference expansion thing, Keith, I'm just going to I won't get into my real job too much, except to say that I was at, at a conference this past weekend in Chicago and uh, I was on a panel with uh, a gentleman from Ohio State. So nothing to do with what we were talking about, which was related to university advancement. But beforehand, he mentions, hey, I'm here in FSU to the Big Ten again. This is an Ohio State guy who's pretty far up, and he throws that my way. So, oh, here we go. So just, you know. It's always see, out there. It's always out there. Here we go again. FSU to the Big Ten is coming, uh, and that's that's straight from an Ohio State person. Anyway, uh, that did happen. I'm not saying that it's happening. That said, let's go back to what we were starting to talk about initially in the Peach Bowl game and, and kind of how the Peach Bowl came to be, uh, you know, how it got a seat in the New Year's Six. Because uh, if you look back a few years ago, the, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl wouldn't have been in that conversation. And to me, I think it's two things. One, it for years and years, it's been the only game on New Year's Eve. And not that people watch the full four hours because, you know, you're going out with your spouse or significant other. But while he or she's getting ready or you're at the restaurant or whatever, there's only one game Or if on, you don't go out. It's, if that's the night you stay in, right? nothing to do. Yeah, which the older I get, the more I do that. Because the game's over by the time balls start dropping. Right, so it's that's the game that's always on. Then the second thing is they've they've had very good ACC-SEC matchups. That, I mean, that's the big they've thing. Got, they've gotten intriguing matchups. So uh, I think that's probably the answer to, to how they got there, along with really good leadership and Gary that's gotten them where they are. Well, and the other part is is they were the – is instigators the right name? <laughs> the initiators of the preseason 
quote unquote bowl game. Right. And and that ended up being a huge uh takeoff for them as it related to bowl game, postseason bowl game. They they were very visionary in putting that together. And and don't don't discount, you know, the marketing and the um, uh, just the class that is associated with Chick Fil A. Uh, I mean, that didn't hurt either. Yeah, no, it's been a good comp. Uh, it's just been a good um, partnership. All partnership, the way around. yeah, partnership all the way around. The way it's grown. What will be interesting is that so now, and this won't always be the norm, but in the case of this year, the game is at twelve noon on New Year's Eve, which New Year's Eve is not an off day for a lot of folks, and so that dynamic of people getting ready to go out on New Year's Eve is gone because now the college football playoffs will be in that window, and there's a lot of people who think that the college football playoff rankings or ratings, I should say, not rankings, ratings will be diminished this year because if you recall a year ago we were on January 1 which is the day that's all you do is sit and become a glutton and watch college football now you put both of them on New Year's Eve and how does that change things so I am interested to see how that plays out when all is said and done I mean obviously you've got a couple big name brands in there playing in those games well and and some would even call it almost a gamble by the playoff committee uh, in terms of setting it up that way but think about this what if it works now you've got two days every year that you know with the right way you put it together you can attract tv audiences instead of just new year's day well and the flip side would be if it doesn't work then you got to go back and you have to have those fights about tradition which is really what it's about the bowl games that have forever been at this time on this day want to stay in that window uh, which is why you know back in the I guess it's two systems ago now when we couldn't get the Rose Bowl to be a part of the – was that the Bowl the Coalition? BCS. Yeah, the Bowl Coalition before yeah. the BCS. Yeah. You know, it's all about tradition. So it, it'll just be interesting to see when all said and done what those ratings look like because last year the ratings were phenomenal on the Correct. games. Correct. Uh, even though in the case of the FSU-Oregon game, you know, I, uh, as much as it pains me to say it, it was over in the middle of the third quarter from the nation's perspective. So it, the, it is – The it, second fumble, there were a lot of people switching. Yes, Let's not relive that game. We don't have to relive that game because uh, we can talk about the, this matchup with uh, with Houston, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. We'll also have Tim Linnefelt uh, joining us next segment. We'll talk a little uh, more FSU athletics and uh, get the uh, insight of our Seminoles.com insider. It looks like you had something to add. I was just going to say that the one thing we keep forgetting, we don't always forget, but I'll just remind our listeners of, is, is bowl games are so important for a, a myriad of reasons. The one specific reason for coaches – is 15 more days of practice yeah i mean it's like getting a second spring and and uh florida state this week you know they've been out there doing nothing but fundamentals and and you know you get back to basics and and you get an opportunity to get people healed they've been off for two weeks uh i mean it it there's just a great um part of the bowl process that fits into successful programs in florida state now and it's 32nd 31st 34th 34th consecutive bowl next next year we'll tie the all-time record that's you know that is part of the recipe of success period the end well and i've heard uh jeff talk a little bit about uh, you know his his thought now that you don't momentum doesn't carry over from a bowl game into the next season and uh oh, I disagree. I think it wholeheartedly carries over. It looked like you just ate whatever he ate this weekend, based on the face you just made. I wasn't I, trying to. No, here's what I was going to say. I don't know that it. I think it leaves the fan base feeling good. I don't know that the momentum helps the team in the next game nine months later. But I do think individually, uh, it, you can really take some steps. Whether it's a Sean McGuire who's still trying to win the job or other guys, I think there is a lot of value to it from that standpoint. Spoken just like someone that hasn't participated in the game. So at that tell me. Level. So share. It's the whole reason that propels you into to, uh, winter workouts and fifth, fourth quarter and fifth quarter drills. I mean, it's, it's all a continuous process because what do you remember the last game you played in? Now you got to remember it for nine months. It's a huge part of a successful program. Sounds like we need to have a conversation with Jeff or you do to uh... – I just tell him he's wrong. <laughs> All right. You think I'm going to convince him of anything? No, but it'd be a good conversation. We'll step aside, (laughs) come back with Tim right after this. Stay with us on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith.
on the front row, and we are joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, Seminoles.com. Uh, I'll remind you, get your bowl tickets uh, through FSU Athletics at Seminoles.com. Also, finish up that holiday shopping on shop.seminoles.com. Keith mentioned uh, earlier in the show he only has two gifts left to purchase. Just just go online, Keith. You don't even have to fight any traffic or do anything. That's how I purchased all the other ones. Yep, there you go. Tim, <laughs> Tim, are you through with your holiday shopping yet, or are uh, you still? You know, I uh, I always think that I'm done, and then I like I, I think of something else, or I think of someone else, and I like create more work for myself. You, so. don't not, you do not have to get me anything this year. Uh, I appreciate Tim. that, Keith. I appreciate that. He was going to wrap up a, a nice box of nothing for you once again. As, as I think I have a few old Osceola's laying around. I could uh, I could send your way. You could yeah, autograph. I, I, maybe I maybe I wrote an article for him. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Where you want to start? We got uh, men's basketball tonight. We've got uh, a Peach Bowl game coming up in a couple of weeks. We've got uh, various other things on Seminoles.com right now. Oh, uh, well, like, you could go I anywhere. mean, we're, we're, we, you know, we've, we've gained such confidence in you. We're just going to put the ball on your court and see what you'd like to talk about. Tom has week. to go to the bathroom. Cause exactly. So just please talk about minutes? something. Yeah. <laughs> well, seeing as football practice is getting ready to get going, why don't we, uh, why don't we start there? It'll be, I guess this will be the fourth practice uh, of, of bowl preparations. They started on Sunday and are going straight on through, I believe, until next Monday before breaking for Christmas. Uh, and then reconvening in Atlanta, and so uh, so yeah, they're they're out there getting kind of back after it, and it, it's you know I think it's interesting. Uh, others might not, but the way that Kimbo Fisher approaches these bowl practices, he said on on Monday, is really his first real media availability uh, since the Florida game. He had a couple of teleconferences since then, but uh, but he said that he kind of looks at, at these practices almost like a spring camp. You know, you you, you spend your time. Uh, not even really, they'll focus on the game a little bit later, but but for now, they're they're really sort of focused on fundamentals, tackling drills, blocking drills, sort of the, the ins and outs that you, you do in, in March and August. Uh, getting back to that sort of stuff before they move on to, to Houston. And I thought that was kind of a, an interesting approach that, when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. Well, and for this team in particular, maybe more than some other years, they really could have used a bye week later in the season to clean up some of those fundamentals. Nine, nine consecutive weeks. Yeah. Yep. Just just didn't have it. The other thing that happens too, Tim, uh, having been through it, although a long time ago, uh, you know, if you put your game plan in too early, uh, it gets stale because normally you're used to looking at a game plan over a four or five, maybe six day period. So, you know, there's probably a little bit of the mental part uh, that goes into going back to fundamentals and basics and not even referring to Houston until you get to the end of this week or until you get to Atlanta. So that's a part of it as well. No, I think that's uh, that's definitely a, a pretty fair assessment. And it sounds like from, from a handful of players that we talked to, we'll get a couple more today, but uh, earlier this week talked to Dalvin Cook. Uh, Lamarcus Brutus, Demarcus Walker, and Wilson Bell. So, a pretty nice variety of players from different sides of the field, and they all seem like they really responded to the the, the change in approach, I guess, uh, that that they're going through this week. You know, like you you mentioned, the nine games in nine weeks. It's it's really just sort of a gauntlet with you know, one game after the other, no time to to come up and catch catch your breath or, or get any air. So, I think they seem like they're kind of enjoying it. You know, Lamarcus Brutus said that you know you, you're kind of working on coverages and schemes that maybe you haven't worked on all year. Uh, Wilson Bell saying that they're they're you know relaying the foundation basically for their zone blocking scheme and techniques. And so it's it's, it's kind of interesting to hear everybody talk you know kind of like you're used to hearing on the on the first day of August or something like that. I know Brutus injured his hand uh, against Florida, but he's going to be all right to go. Uh, is there anybody else I'm, I'm leaving out? And then I, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Derek Mitchell because I know that he had back surgery and his career mm-hmm. is now over and. Uh, you know, I saw him, I don't remember if it was the Florida game or the Chattanooga game, but whatever game it was, uh, to see him, this was before the game, to see him walk, it looked like he was a 65-year-old man. His back was giving him so much problems at that point. And I think we just, we sort of forget sometimes that these are real people that, that are dealing with these issues. And I'm just wondering, I know you've had a chance to, to interview Derek a time or two uh, you know, during his career. Oh yeah, well let's start there. Uh, I'll, you know, quite honestly, I know you're not supposed to play favorites with, with teams and athletes that you cover around, and, and you try to refrain from that. But but Derek Mitchell, uh, especially over the last couple of years, has really been one of my favorites. Um, not only just because you just you know not that, not that he needs our pity or anything like that, but just everything that he's been through to get to this point with the back. Uh, with some other injuries that have kept him off the field this year, I thought he was really, or not just no, excuse me, not this year, it was for his entire career. Uh, you know, last season was 
really the only season he was able to contribute on a regular week-to-week basis. And I thought he played really well uh, and was one of the more pleasant surprises of that team. And, and so, you know, you, you I think he probably had high expectations for this year, his his fifth-year senior year, and it just didn't pan out again with the back. And I, you, just, you just hated to see it. He's just a really sharp guy, a really friendly guy. Uh, I'm sure both of you guys know that uh, his dad, Derek Mitchell Sr., played basketball here at Florida State in the 1980s. So he's a legacy guy and really cares about Florida State from Jacksonville. Uh, so, you know, grew up sort of in the shadow of, of FSU, if you will. And so, um, you know, I think he just kind of got a bad hand uh, with, with those injuries. And I, and I hate to, to think that his career is over without him getting to play in that bowl game. But uh, I do think he's just one of the real kind of classy guys to come through here uh, in recent years. And, and uh, hopefully he'll still be around the program and around campus in some capacity as he moves forward. Because I think you know, a lot of people around here would be better for it. Obviously, uh, to Tim, part of the talk is that you know uh, Cook can get uh, healthy to whatever lingering uh, leftover stuff from the hamstring, his foot. Uh, what, what have you seen out of Dalvin? He looks good, from what I can tell. It was you know mostly light uh, on Monday. We'll see a little bit more out here uh, in a bit. But you know those are the, the exact type of injuries like Dalvin had that you want to buy a week for, right? You know, not enough to keep you out to, to have you miss a game more often than not. I know he, he didn't play against Syracuse, but maybe you know, maybe could have, but. You know, not enough to, to completely knock you out, but enough to just bother you. You know, to, enough to make you worry, enough to make you think about it when you're running down the sideline. You know, trying to pull away from a defender. So, you know, given some of those, those soft tissue injuries, a chance to heal, especially with the hamstring, I think it was a really good thing. Uh, and with the ankle, you know, I think it's just a matter of of just swelling and, and pain tolerance more than anything. So, if you get that a chance to rest and, and get right, uh, it, it, it makes a huge difference. So, you know, I think you know, Dalvin didn't have anything at the time, couldn't heal. He just didn't have time. Uh, and then he finally did. So, uh, you know, definitely good news there. We've beat up uh, the Heisman voting uh, with Dalvin finishing seventh. I won't go there, but uh, what, what have been the upsides and the downsides of all the All-American teams that have come out? Any surprises on your uh, radar there? I don't think so. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, to some degree, you know, if you look at Roberto Aguayo, um, you know, he's the uh, the first, excuse me, the second three-time first-team All-American in Florida State history. I know some of the, the sports information staff uh, did a good job of, of, of researching that. The only he and Deion Sanders only one to to accomplish that. I think Marvin Jones was a freshman All American uh, as a freshman, and then uh, first team All American two years after that. But pretty uh, pretty rare air for Roberto Aguayo, who I think after hitting a rough patch midway through the season, really kind of bounced back and, and had a strong game against Florida. You know, with the, the final score. You know, makes it look like those field goals that he kicked at the, against the Gators weren't particularly important. But at the time, he kicked them, and they really were. And then they were six as well. So, uh, you know, a great season for him. I think Jalen Ramsey, uh, it, it's almost an award out of respect because if you look at him on the stat sheet, it, it doesn't look particularly impressive. You know, there's not a lot of, not a ton of pass breakups. I don't think any interceptions, but, you know, the, the stat sheet doesn't show the, the fact that just by and large, you didn't see a lot of action his way. And that speaks to the kind of player he is. And, if you're a cornerback, a defensive back, Keith, you know it. If, if the ball's not coming your way, that's probably probably means you're doing your job. That's the utmost respect. When you're leading the team in interceptions, that says something as well. Yeah, you know. So, or you know, I led the team in interceptions two of the three years I played. <laughs> hey, at least you were uh, you were there when opportunity arose. You know? um, but, uh, but but yeah, so I, I don't think we're surprised by that at all. And it was good to see Dalvin get a little bit of love on some of the All American teams. As well, because it, and you know, just to kind of take it back to the, the awards circuit and the Heisman, especially you know, if you ask me, in any other year, just about he would have been a shoe in for to be a Heisman finalist, uh, and and maybe even have won it. But you know, can you think of another year in the last? I don't know. I, I can't think of one at all where there's been this many top quality running backs across college football between you know the likes of Dalvin, Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott, on and on and on. You know, you might get one of those guys in a given season to have five or six. It's just uh, to me, I, I think it's almost unheard of to have that many high quality guys. And I think maybe he was a victim of that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no question on that. Tim, we'll get you out of here on this. And uh, uh, Keith and I have talked some basketball, so I won't bounce over that direction. But as we uh, as we wrap up, it's been a foregone conclusion that Ramsey's going to turn pro. Uh, what's Aguayo going to do, or who else are they going to lose? Do you think, or might they lose? I know Marquez White's name's been out there, but yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, one thing to keep in mind uh, is that Roberto Aguayo—he uh, he would be a fifth-year senior next year. He did graduate 
uh, last week, and he walked and got. Maybe he'll transfer so, somewhere. So that could <laughs> maybe so. Uh, so so that could be a factor. Kickers are always kind of weird, though, you know, because the, the way that the way that draft stock works with kickers, I think, is a little different than uh, than it does with with other position players. A guy that I think you should probably keep your eye on is Demarcus Walker. Uh, I agree. Had, had a nice couple of years, but uh, has really just emerged in a huge, huge way. Uh, this season has ten and a half sacks. They, they went back and gave him an extra sack from that Florida game. First FSU defender of any kind to have double digit sacks since Bjorn Warner and Tank Carradine did it in 2012. And you know, you wonder with him. Um, and, and and we, you know, yeah, we actually talked uh, about this the other day. I had a pretty convers, pretty candid conversation. Uh, Demarcus did with with me and a couple other reporters. And he said, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to talk to my mom. Uh, she's the only one that's really going to have much of a say. Besides me, and I think you know he'll probably, I'm sure, talk to his coaches as well. And, and Jimbo Fisher, to, to his credit, I think always shoots guys pretty straight uh, as far as what he thinks they should do. Uh, you know, Jimbo doesn't have much track record of trying to convince a guy to stay in school uh, if he doesn't believe that he should. And we've seen that play out time and again. Uh, but he's a guy that I think it could kind of go either way. Um, you know, on the on the one hand, you think if he continues this upward trajectory that he had. This season, uh, where he started, I don't say came out of nowhere, but was a, a really nice, nice surprise for the defense. If he makes that same kind of jump next year, he could be talking and you know a really, really high pick uh, the next year. The other side of that is, well, it's no guarantee that your stock's ever going to be higher than it is right now. It's already in in reasonably good shape. Maybe you want to strike while the iron's hot. And you know, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm not sure he knows what he's going to do. Just kind of read between the lines. But but I think he's a guy that you want to pay close attention to between now and then. Well said. Sounds good. Tim, uh, happy holidays to you. Thanks for all your insight this fall. Anytime, guys. It's been, uh, been a lot of fun. Hopefully you'll keep me around going forward. Yeah, we're going to meet as a staff and get everybody <laughs> together and take a vote. And uh, and I'll just say right now, Merry Christmas, Tim. I have a Merry Christmas to you, Chief. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll come back and wrap up on the front row right after this. We don't need no education. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We're back, and uh, we have just about used up all our time. Keith, one thing we did not talk about, and uh, I'm going to talk about it now, is that Charles Kelly is staying with FSU. And I get a chance to interview him uh, during the season for the Football Radio Network, which, you know, he's off limits to the media in general. So I've gotten to know him a little bit. He's a good guy and a good coach, and uh, I thought it was a little premature to say he should have been on the hot seat after last year and maybe a little premature to say that he's the best defensive coordinator ever right now. But he is a good guy and a good coach. I think uh, Stan Wilcox, the athletic director, spoke best when he basically came out and said, folks, Jimbo Fisher never talked to LSU, and basically Kelly never heard from Auburn in terms of direct conversations. And I think that just speaks to the media hype and the fact that we do have agents. They all have agents. And there are conversations going on. I, too, agree with you. I had the privilege of uh, being the first uh, television uh, sit-down with Kelly when he was named the defensive coordinator at Georgia Tech when I was doing the ACC game of the week. And uh, he still references the fact that it's the worst week of his life. He's got more uh, hassles and pressures ever now that he's been promoted uh, by Paul Johnson midseason, and the first guy he has to talk to is me. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately for him, it got better because after talking to you, now he gets to talk to me. There you go. All right. We're out of time uh, before Tom pulls the plug on us. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Happy holidays. Merry we'll Christmas. Do this again Merry next Christmas. Week.